We're going to pick up at verse 11. I'll read out loud if you'll follow along silently. Now it happened as Jesus went to Jerusalem. Now he's on his way there to be crucified. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee in between the two locations. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him 10 men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at the feet of Jesus, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and asked these three questions. He said, one, were there not 10 cleansed? Two, but where are the other nine? And three, were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this Samaritan, this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you whole, has made you well, has saved you. One last thing I'm gonna read. You may remain standing. It's out of 1 Samuel 23. You don't have to turn there. It's about the life of David. David had been anointed king by Samuel. And that didn't result in him being king. It resulted in him being chased through the wilderness by Saul trying to kill him. It resulted in him losing his family. It resulted in him being humiliated. It resulted in him living in the wilderness. And the only people that gathered around him were those who were indebted, discontented, and distressed. And in the midst of this, while he's running for his life, God says to him, I want you to go and save the citizens of Keilah because they're robbing the threshing floors. The Philistines are. That's Saul's job. Here's the passage. They told David, saying, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and they're robbing the threshing floors. It's the only time of the year where you open the city gates so that the wind can pass through because you throw up the wheat and the chaff blows away and the seed comes down and they're vulnerable. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? I mean, Saul's chasing me. Do I take on another front with another enemy? And the Lord said to David, Go. And attack the Philistines and save Keilah, save Keilah, save Keilah. But David's men said to him, look, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once again. Look, guys, if you think I didn't hear from the Lord, I'll ask him again. And the Lord answered him and said, arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with the mighty blow, took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. That's what the priests would wear to inquire of the Lord. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered David into my hand, for he has shut him in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. When David knew that Saul had plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, who's wearing the ephod, he says, bring your ephod here. And David said, he's inquiring of the Lord through Abiathar, he says, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into Saul's hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, Saul's coming down. David said, you know, Lord, I asked you two questions. You gave me one answer. It doesn't say that in the text, but watch. 
David repeated, he said, Lord, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? You didn't answer that second part. And there's a pause. And God speaks and he says, yes. They're gonna betray you. They're gonna deliver you. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. And then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, so he halted the expedition. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for this picture of the thankful leper. And God, here we are in the season where it's difficult to be grateful in many respects, but yet, Lord, it's a wonderful gift that you've bestowed to mankind. And so, Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us through the study of your word how it applies to us, that we would receive it, own it, and apply it for your glory. Speak to us now, Lord, we pray. We avail our hearts to you. We love you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a seat. So the passage of Scripture, Luke 17, in this passage of Scripture 11 to 19, you have 10 lepers who come to Jesus from afar off, crying out to him, saying, have mercy on us, help us. And um, I was processing this because December 21st of this year will be what's called the winter solstice. And there's a reason why uh, tradition in Christendom brings Christmas to the 25th of December. Throughout the history of the world, the winter solstice is the shortest day of the year. It's when darkness is preeminent and light is scarce. It's probably one of the coldest and one of the darkest seasons, it is the coldest and darkest season in the Northern Hemisphere. And pagan cultures would deal with the solstice in a number of ways. One in particular, Saturnalia, which was the Romans, they, they would make merry. They'd get drunk, they'd get hammered, they'd have, you know, orgies. They, they'd just go crazy. And in the course of this, Saturnalia, every other culture had the same thing. And in a lot of cultures, pagan cultures, they would do sacrifices. And they see darkness enveloping the earth and they'd have this window of light. And these pagan ceremonies became just awful. And then along comes Christians. Now we don't know when Jesus was born, although we do, because if we look at the scriptures and we look at Elizabeth and we look at Zacharias and we look at the order of the priesthood and we've gone through this before uh, and you look at the shepherds watching their flocks out on the fields, it wasn't winter. Jesus wasn't born December 25th, although people can argue and you'll have your opinion. I personally believe that he was born in the spring and that he was conceived on December 25th. You can deal with that later, and I see that through the order of the priesthood, and I've done that study before, and you can follow it, and I, I don't want to contend with you, but suffice it to say, even if it is December that Jesus was born, we don't know the exact date. Nowhere in scripture does it declare the date. It was put on the calendar for this specific reason. It was called redeeming a pagan darkness. He preempted this pagan worship to steal that and transform the culture. And how did, how did Christians do that? They took the darkest day of the year with the least amount of light, and the beauty of it is, from the winter solstice, December 21st this year, 
from the, the winter solstice, every day proceeding gets more and more light. It starts to get lighter. And that's culture. You have a revival, you have an awakening, people start to move towards the light, culture transforms, and then we become complacent, and then it starts to diminish, and then we get into lethargy and apathy, and then we're back into bondage again, and darkness consumes us. And here in this winter solstice, December 21st, the Christians looked at it and they said, how, how do we allow mankind, how do we redeem this? How do we, how do we co-opt this? And so what they did is they took, as it says in John 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the word became flesh and dwelt with man. He's the light of the world. It says in Luke that in Zebulun and Naphtali, in the darkest place on the face of the earth, earth a great light has shone. And so the infusion of light comes in in the darkest season of the earth to declare that there's hope. And what else do Christians do? We don't sacrifice anymore. We now start to rejoice in the gift of family. We have a season of gift giving. We're others centered. We start to sing songs about a savior. We begin to focus on our selflessness and that God would so love the world that he'd give his only begotten son that he would be God with us, Emmanuel, and he would tabernacle with us. He'd be born in a manger in humility and he would reach the world and transform the world. We begin to see this season of darkness now being co-opted and, and redeemed for light. And the sad thing about darkness and chaos, chaos is ignorance. Chaos is ignorance. You're isolated the scripture says you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. You have been enlightened to the truth. You've come to know the truth. You've embraced the truth, you testify to the truth. But people love darkness more than light. And so this light has come into a dark world. But there's chaos, chaos is ignorance. The scripture says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But in your ignorance, you don't seek to understand. Chaos is a breakdown of order. Chaos is a breakdown of order. Your relationship is breaking down. There's no order. There's no structure to it. You're failing at your job because you don't understand the way it's to operate. Maybe management is chaotic because there's no order to it. Maybe relationship with your kids is falling apart. Chaos is ignorance. And so what you do is you isolate yourself. Ignorance is simply saying, I disagree with you. I don't want to be educated. I want to be indoctrinated. I don't, your beliefs challenge my own and I want to keep you away because they're painful. Everyone say painful. painful. We run from pain. And so we isolate ourselves in our ignorance and then all of a sudden things start to break down. And we only allow people into our life who tell us what we want to hear. But then all of a sudden God had the audacity to plant himself in the middle of a world that had been surrounded by darkness and ignorance. And he begins to say that you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. He said, he's the light of the world. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for the many. He would walk the Via Dolorosa, the way of pain. And he would bring order. He would align us. And how would he do that? He's on his way to Jerusalem right here in Luke 17. He's on his way to Jerusalem. 
He's going through Samaria and 10 lepers who were Jews and Samarians, Samaritans, 10 of them, and they're unified, interestingly enough. And they all cry out, say, have mercy on me. And the Lord sees them as they stand afar off because they're not allowed to come near him. We find this in Leviticus 13 and Numbers 5 that you're how to treat leprosy and it's an awful disease. Uh, here's a, uh, this is kind of a little bit graphic, but bear with me. It's, it's a picture of two men that have leprosy and in the bottom right corner is Hansen, Dr. Hansen, who diagnosed and studied leprosy and the disease is named after him. And leprosy, as you see, it takes on a, a whole host of different appearances, but leprosy is basically a neurological disease that affects the, the nerve endings. And your nerves become deadened. And people say, well, your limbs fall off. That's not what happens with leprosy. Leprosy, the reason why your limbs fall off is because you can't feel anything. There's no pain. So you step on a nail and you don't feel it. And, and even your olfactory senses, because they're nerve endings, your olfactory senses can't smell the rot of gangrene that has been associated with the piercing and the puncture wound in your foot as it's starting to swell and stink. You don't know the wounds that you have on your body. You're unaware of them. You're, you can be leaning on the counter, which you didn't realize you left the stove on, electric stove, and you're just burning through your hand. You can't smell it or feel it. And then all of a sudden, your appendages have been affected by your inability to feel because there's no pain. There's no pain. There's no pain. I say that because in this passage of scripture, you have 10 men who feel no pain. I've shared this in the past and I wanted to revisit it for you this morning, a book that I absolutely love. It's called The Gift of Pain. It was written by Dr. Paul Brand and also Philip Yancey. Uh, Dr. Paul Brand was foremost doctor who studied leprosy. He was a missionary child. His parents dealt with lepers in India. There's 5,000 people, 5,000 cases of Hansen's disease in the United States now starting to revisit the 70,000 homeless population in Los Angeles. And as he began to look at this, he wrote in this book, and it's a fascinating comment. He says, a world without pain, can such a place exist? It not only can, it does, but it's no utopia. It's no utopia. We hate pain. We hate it. Pain is the condition of mankind. Everyone in this room has experienced it. Currently, you're probably going through it right now. Pain's so deep and so painful, you don't even want to recount it. Some of you are hoping, let's, let's not go too far on this. I, I don't want to go there. Pain can be suppressed and old Years ago, but the minute that name comes back into your memory, you're right there as though it was happening to you at that moment. You're going through pain in your marriage right now, pain in your relationship with your children, pain at work. You have loss. Your heart's struggling over the holiday seasons. Pain is awful. Some of us are going through physical pain, emotional, spiritual how do we remove pain? How do we get to this utopia? Well, to remove pain, we have to remove the source of pain, which is sin. And to remove sin, we have to remove the source of sin, which is sinners. 
which is all of us. It's systemic. You see, pain is a gift. It's a wonderful gift that you don't want anyone to have. You see, this utopia is a leper colony, a world where people literally feel no pain and reap horrifying consequences. We, we, we have leper colonies today in America. You just, you just go to downtown LA, downtown San Francisco. We've removed pain. We've supplied, government supplied needles. Just put that in there. That heroin gets into your veins and you just nod. You have no idea you're emaciated, you're stark naked, your teeth are falling out, you just don't feel anything. You're, you're freezing, you're shivering, you're cold. You've defecated yourself, you stink. No one wants to be around you, no one wants to look at you, but you feel no pain. I remember when I blew out my disc, L4, L5, L5, S1, I was in the backseat of our Honda as Michelle was driving me to the doctor. I was crawling to the uh, Kaiser. It was the most, most painful thing I've ever experienced, just so painful. Every movement was excruciating. And I remember getting into the doctor's office and, and just, just couldn't handle another thing. And they came over and they gave me a shot of morphine. And that went into my veins and I just went, oh, okay. If everybody was on this, there'd be world peace. <laughs> I love you guys. And they're like, I'm a Democrat. I love you anyways. <laughs> and I'm an awful Republican. Hug me, you know? And what's interesting is you had Samaritans and you had Jews, and they all had leprosy, but they were all getting along because they felt no pain. I don't see nationality when I'm on heroin, man. I don't see color when I'm on heroin. I don't feel anything when I'm on heroin. It's awesome. Is it? Just go observe them. They have no family. No one wants to be around them. No one wants them in their community. They stink. They're dying. And we're keeping them on this leper colony with every syringe we provide. And we're killing them slowly as they feel no pain as their hands burn, as they step on nails. They feel no pain. They don't have to deal with pain. Pain is a gift from God. Pain is a gift from God. We've seen the leper colony. It's in downtown. We've seen what it does when you feel no pain. It's horrifying consequences. It destroys us. Philip Yancey writes, pain is an indicator that lets us know something is wrong. Pain has a value that becomes clearest in its absence. The gift of pain looks at what pain is and why we need it. A gift that none of us want and none of us can do without. God gave pain for a simple reason. In chaos is ignorance. And to confront that ignorance, it requires pain. You're wrong. You don't like it. You don't like to be confronted. You want to isolate. You keep those people out. I, 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 I have no desire to be educated, indoctrinate. Keep them out. 
silence their voices. I want to live on my leper colony. I don't want to be challenged. I don't care what the laws of nature, nature's God have to deal with. I have made my own colony. And in that colony are people like you. We don't want any pain. So we surround ourselves with people who tell us what we want to hear. You're amazing. You're super. You're going places. And they share needles. And you just remove the source of pain. And you know what's sad? Is in that chaos, your development is arrested. Some of you know what it's like to go into heroin at 16 and then you come out in your 30s and you realize I'm still thinking my, my development was arrested and I, I'm acting like I'm 16 because I never developed. And I lost all those years on that colony. And, and to come out of, this is, this is the interesting thing, I know what it's like to go through withdrawals. To come out of that, it's painful. It, it steals tomorrow and gives it to you today, but the bill comes due and it hurts. You, you, you're crawling out of your skin. You, you want to die every waking moment. You, you feel depressed for no reason. You just, you cry for no reason. It's awful. And you feel no pain though if you go back to it. And while you do that, everything around you is rotting and falling away. Your family can't be around you because they don't know what you're going to steal next. Because you don't feel any pain. You have no empathy for others because you feel nothing for yourself. You'll give yourself away. You don't have to worry about it, the pain. You can enter into a relationship if there's a remuneration and some money to be able to go buy more of the stuff that'll take away the pain. You feel nothing. There's no intimacy. There's no, there's no honesty. You're just rotting. And we, we provide that. We, we raise our children to avoid pain. But God's given us pain because it's chaos. We're in ignorance. And pain is saying something's not aligned. Something's not right. Yeah, my back hurts. It's because I slump when I walk. It's because I didn't do stretching when I was young. It's because I lifted things improperly. And I can, I, I can take drugs to make it go away. But it gets worse. What I really need is the hard thing where I have to go stretch and I gotta go sit in traction and I've gotta do work. Oh, but that's painful. I'd rather have a pill. Doc, do you have a pill? You're overweight. Well, can you suction it out? I don't wanna feel the, the derogatory views of others and I, I don't, I get it. We want a simple answer. But life is hard. I don't want to be in the relationship anymore. It's painful. I just, I don't feel like I really need this. And this person understands me. Well, it doesn't have to be heroin. It can be another relationship. And I got news for you. You're going to step out of that, alienate, lose your kids, lose your spouse, lose your community, and you'll step into here and you're going to take your problems and their problems and you're going to bring them together and that's going to be great. It's going to be unbelievably great. We don't want to endeavor but pain is there to wake us up. It's a gift. We live in a fallen world. Pain exists because we're out of alignment with what God desires. And into the darkness, in the darkest day of, of the year, on the winter solstice, what did Christians do? They made a day of thanksgiving, of giving gifts, of other centered, of serving. 
of rejoicing that light has come into the darkness, that Christ was born amongst us. There was a study that's in the psych, uh, psychiatrist journals and psychologists look at it. It was uh, the effect on po- the the effect and positive effect and effect appeared to be the most robust finding. Results suggest that conscious focus on blessings may have emotional and interpersonal benefits. Even psychologists and psychiatrists say being grateful changes. But what are you grateful for? Well, I'm grateful for the hit of heroin I got. Well, the Bible says give thanks in all things for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I like what Charles Dickens writes. He says, reflect on your present blessings on which every man has many, not on your past misfortunes of which all men have some. You have 10 lepers who cried out to God and they were all healed. One came back to say thank you. This is critical. Jordan Peterson writes, you can't be happy unless you have gratitude. When you are thankful for what you have rather than resentful about what someone else might have or forever striving to acquire what you don't have, you are content with life. We always complain instead of being grateful. We look at what, else, what someone else has and it's not enough. The Bible says give thanks in all things for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. As I was reflecting on that, I thought, gosh, Lord, I'm an awful servant. I mean, you had to do all that for me to get an understanding of Luke 17. Yeah, thank you. Bless you. As long as my pain can help you. But I, I, I reflected back on that thinking, I don't need this. I went to great extent to help, and I'm being overlooked. (laughs) If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be a servant of all. Count it all joy. Rob, this is a privilege. And it... It doesn't just work in that arena, it works at home. We come home to be served. We, we pour our lives into our workplace and put up with unbelievably difficult people and come home and expect our family to treat us like we're special. We'll serve everybody, but we don't serve when we get home. We think this is where I get to spill my cup of flesh. No, it isn't. This is where you get to really be who you are. Are you a servant? And it's a test. And you know what happens when you're treated like a servant? It hurts. But the beauty of it is it aligns. The pain makes you aware because you step into somebody else's world. You get to feel what they feel and see what they see. You get to understand it. 
In the passage of scripture, it says he entered a certain village and there met him 10 men who were lepers and they stood afar off. They couldn't even come near him based on on Luke 13 and Numbers, or Leviticus 13 and Numbers 5. They couldn't even come near him because of Levitical laws. He, they stood afar off and they said, Jesus, have mercy on us. They lifted up their voices. But I love this part, verse 14 says, when he saw them. You know what I'm talking about. You're driving in your car, you come to the stoplight, and there's a person holding the sign. You've, you've come face to face with the decline of Western civilization and they're asking you for a dollar. And you're in your car. And we know how, how we all do it. I'm blind right here, I have no peripheral vision. <laughs> I've got a very important text that's coming through and I, I, I would look at you but I can't because I, I, I'm, I have places to go, people to see and things to do and you are irrelevant, I'm not looking at you. I don't wanna make eye contact with you, I don't wanna see you in my peripheral, just get behind me. Bing, green light, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and some of you, as mayor, I've gotten letters from you. There's one underneath the bridge. Get him out of there. <laughs> Bless your heart. What a lovely email you sent me. <laughs> Warm the cockles of my heart. Do something. My property values are decreasing. This is not my problem. I pay taxes, you know. I know. I know. And why did you pass that Boise ruling where you allow them to sleep anywhere they want? Really, is that what we did? Do your homework a little bit more. We're contending with federal and state mandates, and even if somebody is in violation of the law and we take him to the magistrate, they let him go. Does that bug you? Because it sure bugs me. (laughs) And you're welcome to run for office and take my spot. It's all yours, and I'll let you sit on the homeless commission I sit on. And in the process of all that, Doggone it, if your heart doesn't get affected by the leper. And you look at them and they have stories. And God forbid you make eye contact with somebody. And you see they've been created in the image of God. You start thinking, I am my brother's keeper. What am I supposed to do? Good place to start. It's a good question to ask. Jesus saw them. And then he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. It's gonna require an act of faith. Oftentimes I'll help people who have an act of faith. You show up at this time at this place and then we'll see where we go from there. If you're really wanting to come out of this pain-free life and step into life and get realigned, and accept pain for what it is, that it's pointing out that the way you're walking is inappropriate, and if you wanna come out of this pain-free leper colony that's killing you, you wanna clean up, I'm here. I I can do it right now, but I don't wanna put them on the spot. I could have people that we have put through Teen Challenge raise their hand whose lives have been transformed, and you'll see that when you wanna come out of the leper colony, there's healing to be had. And I look at them and I say, you want that? Do you want that? It requires an act of faith. You come meet me here the next day or you make this phone call and they do that. And while they were on their way to the, to the priest, and, and you can imagine that was tough for them because one of the reasons why they had to stand afar off according to Leviticus 15 and, and Numbers 5 is because the priest had already 
observed the leprous white scaly skin and they had ostracized them and kicked them out of the camp. And now they're supposed to go back to this priest? They're like, we've already done that. That's why we're in the mess we're in. I can't go back home. My mom and dad kicked me out. I can't go back to the mess I'm in. By faith, you want freedom and you go back. And as they were walking, the scripture says, at that moment, by that act of faith, they were cleansed. Baptism is an act of faith. It's a public profession of faith. This is what they're doing. They're following in obedience to what God commands. And it's gonna be painful. We're almost finished. I got 12 minutes and I'll do it. And so it was as they went that they were cleansed. And here's the best part, verse 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice. I love that, loud voice. Because in the Greek, phonos, phonos megalos. Phonos megalos. That's where you get the word megaphone. Hey, everybody. I've been healed. <laughs> Woo. God did it. Jesus, right here, healed me. My wife and I, yesterday, it was such a fun day. I, I smoked pork. Four roasts. Smoked them. They were exquisite. So good at that. And I'm not bragging. It's just the truth. <laughs> and the entire day, I never stepped foot out of the house. I was a hermit. And I watched football all day day and I loved it amazing games just Georgia LSU I'm like this is awesome Wisconsin was going against the other team Ohio State I'm watching these these schools and people cheering and they're painted the color and they've got the cheerleaders and the bands and they're just having a blast and they score and they're screaming they're like yeah and I'm thinking this is awesome they're they're thrilled and it was grueling and people were getting injured and they're carting them off the field and they're and the place is erupting and it's just it's awesome everything about it I love football Sundays is for Jesus and football Saturdays is just football I'm kidding And then I thought, the way that they respond to their schools and their alma maters, you come, to, you come to church and these are people that are thankful when they win and they're screaming and you come to church and we're like, let's worship. And you're like, oh yes. <laughs> I'm so grateful. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Nobody's cheering, nobody's stoked. God's delivered us from death unto life. He is, he's brought light into our life. We know the truth, the truth has set us free. He's delivered us from darkness. He's, he's redeemed us, he's cleansed our sins. He's washed us as white as snow and they're cast as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And, and we come to church and we're like, mm. Mm. And here we are, the darkest season of the year. And you are children of light. And I am too. And here we learn from a man who with a megaphone, phonos megalos, begins to declare and glorifying God, he falls down on his face, he gives thanks, and he was a Samaritan. 
Sometimes it's neat to have somebody come into the church who's never darkened the doors of a church and you see how the gospel so profoundly affects them and it's like going to Hawaii with somebody that's never been there before and you've been there all the time and you take it for granted and you see every flower smells like perfume and the sunsets are colors I've never seen before. You know what, you're right, I kind of forgot that. I become numb to the glory of God's creation because I get to do it all the time a world of order and beauty. I like what Matthew Henry says. He was a famous Bible commentator and he was robbed of his wallet once. The Bible says, give thanks in all things. And he was robbed of his wallet once and he wrote this in his diary uh, the night that that he had been robbed and he was writing what he was thankful for because he'd read that verse. He says, first, I'm thankful that I had never been robbed before. He says, the second thing, God, that I'm thankful for is that though they took my wallet, they did not take my life. He said, third, Lord, even though they took it all, it wasn't very much. (laughs) And I love the fourth thing he writes. He says, Lord, I'm thankful that I was the one being robbed and not the one doing the robbing. I'll close with this last thought. We had the privilege to go to the birthplace of Samuel when we went on this trip to Israel. And it ended up becoming a very favorite place for me. I was moved by the view, and it was stunning to me. And in the distance, one of the cities, and I pulled up another picture the best I could find, but in the distance from this view is what is called the city of Keilah, which we just read about in 1 Samuel 23. And Keilah... Uh, David was running for his life. God had promised him you know, that he'd be king of Israel and now he's being treated like a, you know, uh, a vagabond. And he's a refugee and he's running for his life. He's, he's considered a, a criminal. And, and Saul's hunting him to kill him. And while he's hiding in a cave with the distressed, indebted, and discontented, 600 men have gathered around him and all these promises of God and all he's getting is pain, 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 pain. He's lost his family. He's lost everything. He's lost his best friend. He's, he's, he's lost all, all, all of it. And in the midst of it, he's just saying, God, what do you want to do? I want to give thanks. He says, Lord, My heart's broken because I've heard that the Philistines are coming down to attack your people in Keilah. And God, granted, it's not working out the way I expected it, but I'm here to serve. What do you want me to do, Lord? And God says, I want you to go and save them. He says, yes, Lord. He goes to his men, he says, God said, we're gonna go down and save the citizens of Keilah. And his men are like, we're dealing with Saul, now you wanna take on the Philistines, are you idiot? He says, look, I don't want to mess with you guys. Let me go ask the Lord again, and if I get it confirmed, I'm going. You want to come with me? Great. He confirms it with the Lord, and he says, yeah, God said do it. Bless his heart, and the men, they just said, all right. God said it, we'll do it, and they're all servants. And they go down there, and they defeated the Philistines. They saved the citizens of Keilah, a walled city. It was the threshing season where it's the only time of the year in a walled city where you open the gates to get a cross breeze so that you can throw the weed up and the chaff blows away and the wheat comes down and you gather it. And it's kind of like bug's life. You got the grasshoppers, you got the ants and the ants are doing all the work and the grasshoppers are the Philistines and the Philistines are coming to take the wheat. Got that? And while they're doing it, it's all falling apart and the circus animals, which is, you know, the big fat thing and the stick guy and all the bugs are 
Ah, those, they're coming to help. That's David. And they save the citizens of Keilah. And when they do that, Saul gets word of it. He's coming down. David is a sharp dude. He just, he, he sees Abiathar and he says, here, I got to ask the Lord a couple questions. Come on in. I want to inquire of the Lord. And he brings the priest and he says, God, two questions for you. One, is Saul coming down to get me? And two, will the citizens of Keilah betray me? And God says, yes, Saul's coming to get you. And then David says, uh, okay, Abiathar, I know you're a good, like, interpreter and go-between, uh, but I did ask two questions. I got one answer. He says, well, let's ask the Lord again. He says, all right. He says, um, I, 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 I know I asked you the first one, and you said, yes, that Saul's coming to get me, but the next question I asked you, you didn't answer God, was, are the citizens of Keilah going to betray me? Are they going to give me up? The people whose lives I just saved at great expense to my own, put my, my men, their lives at stake. I, I've raised these kids from childhood and now they're betraying us. I, I've, I gave my life to this spouse and now we're, we're at odds with each other. I've been betrayed. I've been, my heart's been broken. I've been cheated at work. This is gonna be a reality and it's gonna be painful and God knows the answer. It's gonna hurt you, David. It's gonna hurt real bad. And I'm hesitant to give you the answer because I love you. But yes, those people whose lives you just saved are going to dump on you and they're gonna throw you under the bus. And the beauty of the passage in 1 Samuel 23 that I read briefly at the beginning is David doesn't go, those dirty, rotten, worthless scoundrels, I'm gonna go stick them with the same knife I defended them with. How dare you betray me? How dare you don't give me a seat at the Sherwood Country Club? I wouldn't betrayed, but how petty can we be? And we hold everything as though we are entitled. The only thing we're entitled to is to be grateful. And count it all joy. You know what David does? He doesn't get bitter. He doesn't get defensive. He just gets on his horse and rides out of Dodge and goes and hides. The, the 10 lepers were far off and they went to the temple and they were cleansed and nine of them were still afar off because they never wanted a relationship with the Lord. One came close and he had a relationship and here's the secret. The secret is the other nine love the healing more than the healer. The other nine love the gift more than the giver. Why are you at church? You want something? Or do you want to glorify the Lord? What's Christmas? Well, my parents, my kids can get to church. If you can at least, if the youth pastor can get them, right? If that's, how about just come and glorify the Lord? Endeavor with the family. Lepers live in a pain-free world. And when God heals you, he makes you feel again. And he breaks your heart and it hurts. 
And you have those hard conversations with each other that you never took time to do it because you always isolated and went to your pain-free world and you took that drug to isolate yourself and you hung out with the person from the office who understands you and you just isolated. Now it's time to have the hard conversation with the children and with your spouse and with your boss and your boss with you. And you endeavor and you're thankful and if you want Mercy, you give it. Any man who desires mercy, mercy must first be merciful. And you serve, and you take the darkest day of the year and the darkness of your life, and you infuse Christ the light of the world, and every day it gets lighter and lighter and lighter. And I'll leave you with this. Jesus healed all 10 and he went on his way to Jerusalem. And why did he go to Jerusalem? To walk the Via Dolorosa. He got the daylights beaten out of him. It was painful. No one on the face of the earth has ever suffered more pain than Jesus. Ever. His back was shredded like hamburger meat with a cat of nine tails, pierced in the side, crown of thorns on his head, nails through his wrist, nails through his feet, beaten, beard pulled out of his face. All the pain, Why? Because the world was out of alignment. And God came that you'd know the truth and the truth would set you free and into the darkness a great light is shown. And when that light comes in, people love darkness more than light. And they fight. And they hurt you. And Jesus loves you. And he serves you. And he serves me. He says, you want to be great? Be a servant. A servant speaks when they're spoken to. They offer their opinion when they're asked. They lay down their life. They have no rights. How did David get on his horse and ride out of Dodge? He was in the lineage of Christ. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And from the mouth of the Lord would come these words as he would say them upon the Mount of Beatitudes and he would speak to you and I this day. He'd say, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, not just glad, exceedingly glad. For great is your reward right here in Thousand Oaks where they're going to bless you, Rob McCoy, and get you a seat right there, the Sherwood Country Club, and you're gonna be able to be recognized by everybody, and you're gonna come to church, and they're gonna think you're so special. No. No, no, no. You are invisible. You're an under rower. You're a doulos. You're a bond slave. Get down below the bottom of the deck and row. And if you want any reward, it's not on this earth, it's in heaven. Store your treasure in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy and thieves will not break in and steal. That's what you're working toward. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Hey, pain is a privilege because you're helping realign the world. And if you want to avoid it and you want the easy Christendom, there's a bunch of leper colonies awaiting you. But pain is doing the right thing. It's the hard thing. And that's what we're called to do. And that's what makes Christmas so special. A baby came to die and suffer to set us free. Why? Because love is painful in a fallen world. 
Love is selfless, not selfish. And we're going to feel pain when we love. And when we serve hurting people, they're going to hurt us. And we're going to see them. And we're going to serve them. And God's going to bless us. And that's the power of Christmas. In Jesus' name.